heard I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, the Evangelical Covenant Church is uh, our larger tribe that we're a part of in the larger community of faith that we call the church. And uh, we have this uh, part of our tribe called Covenant World Relief that is uh, an offering that the people in our faith communities give to that goes around the world, as you heard, for microloans, helping people in need, all kinds of ways that we make a difference in the world. And our life app today, as we heard, is gratitude. And one of the ways that we express gratitude as uh, followers of Jesus Christ is that we give generously. And what a great way to begin to teach our kids about how we can give out of the blessings that God has given us to make a difference in the lives of other people. So we do have these uh, banks prepared for you. They're out uh, in the lobby on your way out if you'd like to grab one. There's also um, labels and lids if you'd like to just take those and build your own can. And over the next few weeks as we lead up to the Sunday before Thanksgiving, just put your loose change in there. Put it on the kitchen table or on the countertop and uh, each day or each week, you guys as a family can drop a few coins in there and uh, anything else that you'd like to add. And on the 23rd, on Sunday, we're going to have uh, a time where we bring our cans uh, forward as part of our offering on that Sunday. So check that out, and we'll he- give you more information about that as we approach that Sunday. It is uh, good to be together again today, and I would like to let you know that we are coming to the end of our Journey of Faith series. Next Sunday will be the last Sunday in what has become an eight-week series. And uh, it'll be a little bit sad for me to, to end our first uh, sermon series together, but I am excited about all the ways that uh, you all have been sharing with me, uh, the impact that God has been making in your life through the, the themes and the stories and uh, the biblical characters that we've been talking about and the patterns of development and growth that God weaves into our lives uh, as a part of our journey with Him. We've talked a lot about how disciples are learners. That's what a disciple is, is a a learner or a student. And as followers of Jesus, we are called not only to be learners uh, of Him, but to go and make disciples, to make learners. Last week we talked a little bit how disciples are not just learners, but they're also leaders. That all of us are called to lead in some fashion within our own sphere of influence. Not everybody leads large nations or organizations, but we all lead somebody, our friends, our, our children, our co-workers. And uh, as we move forward in our series today, we also want to understand, we talked about this a little bit last week, that every effective leader first knows how to be a good follower. And if you want to learn how to be a leader within your own sphere of influence, what we learn from Jesus and some of the other characters of the Bible is that you first also have to learn how to be a good apprentice. Leaders are not born, they are grown. And we learn from those who go ahead of us. We learn from those who are further down the journey of faith how to live and move and be in this journey of faith that we walk with Jesus Christ. You may have heard the story about uh, the new bride who was cooking her first family dinner for her extended family and everybody was over and all the ladies were in the kitchen and she was going to prepare the roast. And so she uh, took out the roast and she cut the end off the roast and put it in a second pan to put in the oven and she thought hmm, I wonder why we cut the end off the roast. And her mom was there, so she said, Mom, you know, I've always, you you know, done what you've done, and uh, we always cut the end off the roast and put it in a second pan. Why do we do that? And she thought, well, I've always done it because that's the way my mom did it. And, well, she's here. Let's ask Grandma. Grandma, why do we cut the end off the roast and put it in a second pan? And Grandma thought, and she said, oh, well, my pan was too small to fit the roast. (laughs) 
But isn't it true that we are always learning and we're picking up cues from those around us, from family, from coworkers and friends, and how to do this thing we call life, how to cook a roast, how to raise your kids, how to be a good friend. The challenge is we're, we're picking up insights in how to do things, and we're taking those cues from people around us, but too often I want to suggest for us today that the learning that we're doing is unintentional learning. We're not really thinking about the fact that we're learning. We're just kind of assuming, well, that's the way you do it. And the risk with unintentional learning is that whether it's in our personal lives or in the church, small misunderstandings or or not really understanding the purpose or why we do something the way we do it can lead to patterns of behavior that get us off track and actually hinder us from growing and developing rather than fostering our growth and development in our relationship with God. As we become a church that is about making disciples and stepping out on this journey of faith to go to the land that God will show us, following Jesus in his command to not only love one another, but to make a difference in the world, we need to become a community of faith that is intentional about what we are learning. We need to be intentional about helping one another to learn and to grow in the ways that God wants to work in our lives. As disciples of Jesus, it's not just about being students of information, but it's about being apprentices of life. Jesus came with a way of life, not just about a religious teaching. If you understand the Hebrew culture at the time when Jesus came, it was very different, a rabbi and his students, than how we might experience education today is a teacher in a classroom. Rabbis would select different students who came to kind of apply to be their student, and if they were selected, that student would join them, and they would go live with them. They would walk with them where they walked. They would do what they did. They would apprentice with the rabbi, learning information along the way, but it was always, how does this information apply to the way we do life and why we do what we do? Each rabbi developed their own understanding of Scripture and their own understanding of what relationship with God was all about, and they trained up those students in how to live that out in their lives. For the, for the rabbis, it was that teaching was often called their yoke, coming from the, the old farming uh, method of oaking two, yok, uh, two oxen together to pull the plow so that two could do more work than just the one. And if you know a, a yoke is a, is a bar, it's a wooden, a wooden piece that, that connects the two people, shoulder to sh- or the two oxen shoulder to shoulder so that they pull and the, the pressure of the, the weight of the plow is evenly distributed between them. Often they would take a, a new ox and they would yoke them to an experienced ox and, and the yoke was designed so that the, the experienced ox actually pulled more of the weight so that the, the younger, newer ox could learn how to pull the plow using this yoke method. I'd like to suggest to you today that in many ways we have lost this idea of discipling as apprenticeship in our models of discipleship in church today. It just, we just don't have that model in our culture. As I've kind of thought about where, where are the places where people are experiencing that kind of discipling or that kind of mentoring, really the only place that I can think of it where it's common in our culture is in, in martial arts. If you go to martial arts and you join a, do, a dojo, you're, you're tasked with being a learner of a, of a sensei, and they, they teach you and they train you not only in the teachings and the philosophy of martial arts, but in the skills and, and how to use it and the, the, uh, the character that goes along with being a person who is trained in that art and even the ethics and the morality of how to be that kind of a person. 
I think what we need more and more today in the church is, is an understanding that when we are called to be disciples of Jesus, we are called to be apprenticed to a master. We're not called to be classroom students who go and absorb information and then leave and go on about our week. We're called to understand that there's a, a way of life with skills and abilities and information that has practical application in our lives. And if we're not learning how to be intentional with that apprenticeship, then, then we're not really learning the kinds of skills and abilities and understandings that I think God wants us to have in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Apprenticing really is discipleship on purpose. It is an intentional relationship with Jesus Christ that leads to our own growth and development in an understanding that he has called us into a whole new way of living because of what he's done for us on the cross. In Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30, Jesus said to his disciples, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Last week, we talked a little bit about Moses and how he was a reluctant leader, but God called him out of his shepherding and the, the life that he had assumed he had kind of defaulted to, to, to see himself as, as a new man, to see himself as a, a spokesperson for God and to go and talk with the Pharaoh and to lead God's people out of their slavery in Egypt. And we talked about how, again, all of us are called to lead in our own sphere of influence. Uh, but leaders are developed by first being apprentices. We know that Moses apprenticed under his father-in-law Jethro all those years out in the, in the fields and, and shepherding those sheep. We know that Jethro was the priest of Midian, and we can assume that he, he grew and he learned from Jethro how to be a, a shepherd, how to be a father, how to be a family man, how to find meaning and purpose in his own life. And we know that, uh, you know, Disney has made movies about Moses, Right? You have these images of a Charlton Heston-like character who comes to the, 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 uh, the prince of, or the, the pharaoh in Egypt, and he says in this deep, manly voice, let my people go. Right? You have these images. You realize that it probably wasn't Moses who said it? His brother Aaron, who has not had a movie made about him, was the mouthpiece of Moses because Moses was too afraid to use his own words. Moses was too afraid because he was not good at speaking. He was faltering in his speech, and he was afraid to step out and follow God's lead. But it was Aaron, his brother, who God called to come alongside him to, in a sense, apprentice to Moses to allow him to do what God had called him to do. And as we look very quickly, well, there's a, a variety of passages that I want to look at today that, that show a little bit of the story, snippets of the life of Aaron. But I want to suggest to you there's three reasons why apprentices are important for leaders. Number one, apprentices complement a leader's strength. There is no leader who has all the gifts, all the skills, all the abilities to do the job that God has called them to do. And I'd suggest to you the same is true for churches. There's no one pastor, there's no one leader of a ministry that can do it all alone. And that's why God has given us one another, and he's given us each gifts and skills and abilities to bring to the table so that together we can accomplish more than we can individually. 
Let's just take a quick look at Exodus chapter 4. And this beginning where, where God is calling Moses, we didn't get to look at this piece of the story last week, but it's kind of fun to pick it up here, where, where God is talking to Moses, and Moses says to God, Oh Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak, and will teach you what to say. Well, that's a pretty good offer, right? God's going to go with him. He doesn't have to worry about it. He'll teach him how to speak. He'll teach him what to say. It should be all good, right? But Moses said, oh, Lord, please send someone else to do this. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, what about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you. Isn't it interesting how God does that? He prepares people to come along our side before we even know that we need them. And his heart will be glad when he sees you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you. And it will be as if, your, if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so you can perform miracles and signs with it. You see, apprentices bring strengths to add to the gifts of leaders and other people who are also doing the work so that together they can do a lot more than any one of us could do alone. Apprentices complement the leadership of the team. The second thing I'd like to suggest is that apprentices add capacity. If you know the story of Moses, the, they, they do lead the people out of, out of Egypt, and they go out into the wilderness, and, and they're out there beginning to fo- you know, follow God by a, a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night, and God is leading them, and they're trusting in Him, and they're following Moses, and Aaron is there every step of the way, helping to guide the people, to lead the people, until one day they come across another tribe called the Amalekites, who are not so happy that they're moving into their territory. And so the Amalekites decide, we better attack these people because if we don't, we might run the risk of them taking over our land and our stuff. And so we pick up the story in Exodus 17, in verse 8, where it says, The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. I don't know how many of you have ever done those exercises where you got to, you know, hold your arms up in the air for a long time or do these kinds of things. You can do it for a little while, but pretty quickly your arms get tired and, and your shoulders start to hurt. I can't imagine having to stand there all afternoon and into the evening holding this staff up, knowing that if you drop your arms, your people are going to die. And, and, and the, the pressure on, on Moses to have to, to be the guy who stands there holding his arms up 
and not knowing if he's going to make it. And, and his arms start to fall, and, and the Amalekites start to win, and, and, and so he lifts them up again for a little bit longer. Well, Aaron and Hur, bless their souls, were there, and they recognized that they could help. And so they came alongside on his right and on his left. They gave him a rock to sit on, and, and they lifted his arms and held them there so that they could be successful. What a great leadership lesson where there's no one leader who can do it alone. We need a team of people. We need apprentices who can come alongside and expand our capacity to do more than we ever thought we could. That's the other thing that apprentices multiply capacity exponentially. Thirdly, the last kind of application piece here is that apprentices take on responsibility. If we jump to Exodus 18... After their success fighting the Amalekites, they're settling into their life in the desert, and the people are coming to Moses for him to judge all of the the things going on in their lives. They're having difficulties with their neighbors. They're having questions about their children. All of the things that uh, they have concerns about, they come to Moses, and, and Moses feels this burden of responsibility to take care of deciding all of these questions that people are bringing to them. And then in in chapter 18, beginning in verse 17, Moses' father-in-law, who had come to visit, is looking at what's going on and and seeing all of this happening. And he says to Moses, "What what you're doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me, and I will give you some advice. And may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them the decrees and laws and show them the way to live and the duties they are to perform. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times. But have them bring every difficult case to you, the simple cases that they can, they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this, and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain, and all these people will go home satisfied. Aaron was an apprentice, an assistant, a helper, a a co-worker, a co-leader with Moses. And as the wisdom of Jethro comes, and he's looking at what they're trying to do, and he says, you know what, You you need to get more help. There's, there's all kinds of people here who can help. And, and again, like we talked about last week, everybody might be able to handle their own sphere of influence, but you can have leaders of thousands and hundreds and fifties and tens. You need to give some structure to this and, and plan it out so everybody's helping to, to carry the burden, to lighten the load. And that's the, the third and final piece is that apprentices take on responsibility for leadership allowing leaders to accomplish more within their sphere of influence because they're willing to take on the work of doing what needs to be done within their own sphere of influence. If we're going to be intentional about being apprentices, we too need to begin to structure ourselves to meet the ministry needs of, of this church and the people that God will bring into our lives. I think there's so many great lessons for us in this. I wish we had more time. We could probably do a whole series just on the leadership lessons of of Moses and Aaron. But just really quickly today, I want to suggest to you that, that we need to think about how we structure ourselves in the same way for ministry as a church 
so that we can handle not only the things that we have to do today, but all of the needs of the people that God is going to bring us in the days, in the weeks, and in the years ahead. I'm going to suggest a, a, a simple structure. I think if we have that slide, we can put it up on the screen that, of how we might consider, how, how we might structure our ministries in, in a similar kind of way of breaking it down for us, like Jethro suggested to Moses and Aaron. It'll probably come up as soon as they can get it there, but the first one is that every person who comes to church here who is a member or considers themselves a regular attender should consider themselves a team member. You're a part of the team, and if you haven't yet intentionally identified where your point of service is, that's maybe your first step in apprenticing is where is God calling you to serve? What has he given you, uh, what gifts has he given you that maybe you could just step out and help in one area. It doesn't mean you have to even take responsibility for leading anything at that point, but you can find a leader who needs some help and offer some assistance. Everyone can be a team member. The second step is that some of those team members will feel called to be a, a leadership apprentice. They have some gifts or some skills for leadership, and they, they might feel like they're willing to take on more responsibility within a ministry area to help that leader do more than they could have done alone, and so they will become an apprentice leader. And then the third step would be a, a team leader. Do we have, are we going to have that slide, or is that not? Okay, so we just have to imagine it. So team member, <laughs> apprentice leader, and then a team leader. Somebody who's willing to organize the, the people together, to, to form them as a team, and to accomplish tasks together. What I'd like to suggest to you is that there's a couple steps beyond team leader, and the, the next step that is often missing in most churches is a leadership coach. There are some people who've been doing ministry for a long time who can help coach other leaders how to do their job better. And many of our staff people who we hire to, to do ministry and to lead ministry are, are wonderfully qualified to lead others in how to do ministry and to coach others. But too often, I, I think churches think about their hired staff as people who they pay to be the team leaders to do the ministry. And so the staff goes and they invite other people to come alongside and help them do ministry, but, but we don't have enough time to have them be raising up other leaders and to coach other leaders in how to expand other ministries. And so what you find is that most churches will run out of capacity to do more ministry once their paid staff has filled their schedules to the max. And, and most often you'll have staff, you know, working above and beyond what they're really uh, probably should be doing for health-wise because they feel responsibility to get all of this, these ministries done. All the while, in Scripture, God has given us insights in how we can structure ourselves so that ministry really could be infinitely expandable. We should never be limited in how we could expand our ministries to serve the needs that God leads us to serve as he brings people into our lives because we, have, we don't have enough people to help. We have a whole wealth of people that we can be training in how to move into that next sphere of influence that God might be leading them into. 
And so that, that next step is having our staff and our experienced leaders begin to understand what does it mean to coach other leaders in how to do ministry, to invest in developing them on, on their journey so that we have more and more team leaders and we can multiply our teams and the kinds of ministries that we can do. And then some of those people who are coaches of leaders will also find gifts and ability and calling from God to be what I would call ministry area directors. They have the, the vision and the, the uh, ideas that God has given them for how to expand and do ministry in a certain area. And they have the ability to, to lead coaches, to coach other leaders, and to raise up a whole area of, of people to do ministry. And so you can see how if, if we understand that all of us have a role to play in that kind of laddered structure, just like Aaron and Moses with leaders of thousands and hundreds and fifties and tens, the, the, the load never becomes overwhelming for any one person because we come together as a team to do what God has called us to do. So maybe the question for each of us this morning is, is what area of life is God calling you to work on today? Because it's not just about working in the church. Jesus has called us to a way of life, to a lifestyle. And in order for us to be successful in doing church work and ministry work in the name of God, we have to be whole, healthy people as well. And so part of leadership development in the church is life development, is life uh, discipleship. Jesus doesn't just want your Sunday mornings and your Wednesday nights. He wants your marriage. He wants your family. He wants your, your heart in your workplace. And he wants to develop you and grow you in all of those areas. So what's the area of life that, that you're struggling with or that, that God might want you to be working on? Because, see, if we can identify that, then we can begin to say, how can we be intentional about learning what we need to learn in that area? And then we can help one another to do that. What information do you need for that area in order to be able to have a better understanding? What skills do you need to be developing to, to improve in that area? What are the... Uh, um, the abilities that you need to practice so that you can get better and better. And then once you have an idea of what are those, some of those things are, who is someone who can help you with that? Because, see, that's the thing, is, is none of us are, have, have the expertise or the experience to know how to do that ourselves. And in this room here today, I'll bet you there's all kinds of people who might have some experience in that area and could help you as a, as a coach, as a mentor, as a guide. And then how do we link up those relationships where we're helping one another to grow? You see, if we begin to think about our job as a church to be more of a, a life development center, it helps us to shift our thinking on how are we caring for the needs of the growth and the development of the people who are here. And we can become intentional about having a plan for each one of us to set some goals on how are we growing and what are the areas where God is calling us to grow in right now. How are we doing in our progress? Do we have somebody who we can check in with, who loves us and cares about us, who we trust, who says, you know, how are you doing on your goals? Well, I'm not doing so great right now, but well, that's okay. What's one thing you can do this week to take a step forward to meet that goal? And you see, we can develop a whole community of people who is investing time and energy and relationship in developing one another so that we become greater and greater in the ability to uh, extend love and care and nurture for all of those people that are so desperately in need of people who are willing to love and invest in them in their lives. Paul said to Timothy in some of his parting words to him, who he had mentored and developed and, and grown into be a, a leader, but a, even a leader of leaders. 
He said, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. You know, Jesus never did ministry alone. His disciples were always with him. When he came and he gave the call to come and follow me, it says they, they dropped everything and they went and followed him. They, they walked with him. They, they lived with him. They ate with him. They ministered with him. And Jesus discipled them. He developed them. He trained them so that after three years of living and walking and ministering with Jesus, Jesus had the confidence to say, I am going back to my Father, but I entrust to you the keys of the kingdom. I entrust to you the work of the ministry. Everything that you've seen me do, you will do and, and more. And I will be with you. Just like God said to Moses, I will be with you and my spirit will be in you and you don't need to be afraid of your weaknesses because I will have apprentices and helpers and teams to do it together. He saw beyond his three years of public ministry and he knew that the success was not merely about doing the work. Success was preparing people to carry on the work after him. And as a church, we need to be always mindful of not just the next generation of, uh, of people by age, but what is the next generation of apprentices and leaders that we're developing so that when, when our time has come to, to hand off the, the keys to the kingdom, we've prepared people to follow in our footsteps and maybe not only to take over what we've been doing, but to do even more than we were doing because God has blessed them and called them into ministry. You see, I think too often we, we see leaders like Moses who are overworked and, and overspent and, and they don't have time or energy to do all the things that they want to do or that God calls them to do. And we, we get afraid. We say, well, I can't do that. I don't have time to do that. But I think part of that is because we have developed an unhealthy model of what leadership looks like in our culture and in our church. We, we sacrifice all for, for the company. You know, we have the CEO who will spend 70, 80 hours a week and sleeping in the office and traveling around the world for the sake of, of making a profit for the company, all the while missing the whole point of why God has made us alive, is to, to learn and love Him and one another. Too often, I think we, we model that kind of leadership in the church, and we miss that there's a whole other way of living that God has made available to us, and that we're the only ones who have insight into what that looks like. But too often, we, we do it the way we've always done it, because that's the way you do it. And we don't realize that the, the, the problem was that the roast pan was too small, and that's the only reason we did it that way. It's because we were trying to be more effective. Men and women, I think in our day, and in this season ahead, as God is calling us forward on a journey of faith, we have to ask ourselves, why do we do what we do? And what's the end result that we're really looking for? Because too often, I think we go about our, our lives coming to worship on Sunday morning, doing what we do as Christians, hoping that we're going to see the kind of results that we're, we're talking about, but we're, we're not being intentional about it because we haven't defined what it is that we're really trying to accomplish. And I think if we take time to go back to Scripture and we trust God through His Holy Spirit to reveal to us what His heart is for His church and for you and me in this season, we will see that He wants to develop you. 
He wants to apprentice you. He wants to see you grow and discover a passion for living life that maybe you had not even realized was available to you. And the only way that we can do that is if we're all in it together and we're helping pull the plow side by side, shoulder to shoulder with Jesus. Come to me, he says, all you who are weary and overburdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because my burden is easy. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, when we're, when we're pulling the plow side by side in the way that God had intended, life takes on a lightness and a joy and we have a spring in our step even when times are tough because we know that God is growing us and developing us through it. And when we hear the stories of how God is transforming the lives of the people who are sitting in this room today and the people who are gonna come to us, then we come to worship and we truly celebrate all the ways that God is blessing us and growing us and making us into a blessing to make a difference in the world. How is God calling you to maybe get back on the path of being an apprentice to the master again today? Let's talk about it. Let's plan for it. And let's become intentional about helping one another to grow in that way. Let's pray. God, we do thank you.